Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the 48 yard line. Second down, 13. Brady lobs one downfield. Caught ball by Gronkowski. Inside the 20 to the 15 10. Gronkowski to the 5 to the 4 yard line. Holy Gronkowski. <laughs> Third down, 18. Dropping Gannon, looking Gannon, looking Gannon. Those up the middle. That's intercepted at the Derek 30. Derrick Brooks, 30. Brooks to the 25, He's 20. Derrick Brooks all the way. There it is. The dagger's in. Yeah. We're going to win the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, baby. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Coming back at you today for episode 165. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host, the Philly Bucks fan himself, Mr. Evan Wanish. And we are not alone. We kick off our Super Bowl coverage with our Super Bowl slate of guests. Joining us today, a 10-year veteran of the NFL, starting center of the Buccaneers from 1983 to 1992. Played an incredible career of over 100 games. Second round draft pick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the 1983 draft. And a man with an incredible story to tell. And that's exactly why we brought him on the podcast today. Very excited to talk to him, Mr. Randy Grimes. Pleasure to have you here on the show. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this whole thing. huh? Imagine the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl at home. Uh, it's it's amazing. Oh yeah, the the chance to make history, you know, as a team, and and not only just with the great season that they've had on the back of Tom Brady, this defense stepping up and playing the way that they did, you know, making it to a Super Bowl is tough. And for the Bucks, all the elements coming together this year obviously has to give this city a lot of excitement. And uh, you know, it's the first time they felt this way about a team in close to twenty years. But you know, wanted to get your thoughts before we really get into things. You know, this is a uh, I don't know about unprecedented time for Tampa Bay, but it's, you know, it's just a welcome change to what we've seen from this Bucks team over the last 20 years. What did you make of their season this year? The addition of Tom Brady and the way that they've ultimately navigated themselves to the biggest game and, or at least the second biggest game in franchise history. Well, and, and you know, when, when they signed Tom, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously I was excited I love to see those old timers make it, and uh, I, lo- I love to see them uh, be as successful as possible. But I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how much gas he still had in the tank. And uh, I knew that he was going to sell a lot of tickets. I knew that he was going to cause a lot of excitement. But I didn't know how much of that was going to translate onto the field in wins and losses. But, man, you know, what that guy brought, he brought so much more than just talent. He brought all that knowledge and you know he's i can't imagine what the younger guys felt like coming back to the huddle every time and having his face that face of uh of uh positivity of of of, you know the fact that he's been there and that calmness you know in the storm of a nfl football game i can't imagine what those guys felt in that 
And, uh, you know, it brings a whole air of and championships and playing well and never giving up. He brings that whole air about him. And that's what the Bucs needed. You know, they're a young team. They needed somebody to come in there and show them how to win. And, man, when you go out and win three playoff games in, in a row on the road, that means you're doing something right and that you've, you're dialed in mentally as a team. So I'm real impressed with that. And, yeah, he, he, he brings a great arm. He brings a lot of intelligence. But just that air of, of winning, you know, that, that's what, we, what they needed so much. Absolutely. Go ahead, Evan. Yeah, uh, so, uh, of course, obviously, I think one of the big questions coming into the season was Brady is not a mobile quarterback. So how is this offensive line going to protect him? As a former offensive lineman yourself, how did you view the Buccaneers' offensive line before this season, and did you have faith that they were going to be able to protect Tom Brady and have the success that they have? Well, uh, and, and you know, they, they've been pretty good over the past, and I was real excited about the right tackle, you know, the young right tackle that they brought in, and I'm, that was the missing piece. You know, the good thing about protecting uh, – uh, for a quarterback like Tom Brady is, you know where he is. You know he's going to be sitting in the pocket as opposed to a Steve Young who's supposed to be in the pocket, but he was probably somewhere out there running around trying to make something happen. And you could never protect with a guy because, you know, you thought he was going to be on his seven-step seven drop, and next thing you know, he's taking three steps and then hightailing it out of there trying to make something big happen. So, you know, it's a real advantage to, to play for somebody like Tom and, and to know where he's going to be all the time, and that's sitting in that pocket. And you as an offensive lineman, you, you've just got to keep that pocket nice and clean to where he can step up, you know? Absolutely. And, I mean, there was actually a, a, a graph that had come out a couple weeks ago of all the remaining playoff teams, and it showed the – the point of release in the pocket of the quarterbacks, like where they had thrown the ball from this season. And it was just a drastic difference between a guy like Tom Brady and then, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and where they're throwing the football because the majority of the red dots that represented him letting go of the ball are directly behind your center or your interior guards. You know, he really doesn't roll outside of the pocket that much. And when he does, he's usually able to make a play, but he's got to have more than enough time to do so. You know, one more question I wanted to ask about this year's offensive line. There's a couple of great guys to watch. I mean, is there a player that that you have come to enjoy watching? You know, Ryan Jensen, I think, played like an all pro center this year. You got Ali Marpet, who's an absolute dog. Tristan Wirfs at right tackle, you had brought up, who I think has been, without a doubt, the best rookie in the draft class this year. But being, you know, one of those big uglies on the front offensive line, he's not going to get the credit he deserves. But is there any guy on that line that has kind of, you know, surprised you or just been fun to watch? Well, and, and Wirtz has been somebody that has been fun to watch. You know, I, I, I think he should be rookie of the year. I think he's had that kind of year where he's come in, he's played every game, every snap, and given up limited amount of sacks, I think. Uh, and you probably know, but it's it probably I could count him on one hand. Uh, Jensen has been awesome to watch. He's, he's you know, I compare him a lot to, uh, to Ryan, uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, Ron Heller. And uh, the way he plays, he's aggressive. He's always looking to pick a fight. And, and that's good. You know, that keeps the defense on their toes. And, and I like the way that they're all downfield blocking. You know, there's more than just doing your one assignment. It's also getting downfield and picking off somebody else. So, 
you know, I'm just real impressed with with the offensive line play, and I think that that's the big difference. And you know, that gives uh, Brady a lot of confidence to where he knows he can drop back and 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 uh, step up without having anybody crashing in on him or hitting his hand on a helmet and things like that. But it also says a lot for the receivers that they're running their good routes, that they're getting open, that things are that the timing is all working, and everything that they've worked on back from when he used to have those uh, those practices at the high school back before the season. You know, everything's paying off. All the work that everybody's put in is paying off, and they're just gelling as a team. Absolutely, and it could have come at a better time. I wanted to shift focus and talk to you about your playing days. You did play 10 seasons for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their center. You were taken in the uh, second pick of the ninth or uh, second round of the 1983 draft, pick number 45. Wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what your draft experience was like back then, and ultimately your first impression of you know not only the NFL but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, I was so excited to be drafted by the Bucks. First of all, I was an East Texas kid who had never even seen the ocean. So coming to the seaside community of Tampa, Florida was exciting. You know, I had just gotten married after my junior year in college. So it was me and my wife. And, you know, I can remember getting that phone call. This is back before green rooms and 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 and, and G5s and flying people to drafts and, <laughs> and all these big parties. You know, it was me and her. Uh, it was me and her sitting by a telephone in Waco, Texas at Baylor University waiting for a phone call that I didn't know where it was going to come from. But I remember a call from uh, Coach McKay and saying, hey, Randy, Coach McKay, we just drafted you. See you tomorrow. Click. And I was <laughs> like, oh, wait, wait, where's Tampa? I didn't even know where Tampa was. And uh, but I was excited, you know, not only to be coming out there to start our family and my career in pro football, but. You know, it was uh, they, they had just gone to the playoffs a year before. That was the strike shortened 1982 season. And, uh, you know, I was I was excited. Little did I know that over the next 10 years, I would have five different head coaches, six different offensive line coaches, probably what six or eight different quarterbacks underneath me and a couple of different general. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, revolving door during that decade I was there. Yeah, and I mean, the the Bucks obviously over the past 20 years have been through that revolving door a bunch recently. Uh, you know, what does that do uh, for, for a player when you don't know if, if you're going to have the, the same head coach or the same offensive line coach or, you know, the guys next to you? It's just so much uncertainty. What does that do to a, to a player's mindset? Uh, well, it screws you all up, that's for sure, because you can never get any consistency going. Mm-hmm. When you've got a new playbook thrown in front of you every two years is basically what I had. Uh, you know, you have to learn not only a new system, but you've got to learn new personalities and, and there's new loyalties and, and uh, you know, there's just no consistency at all. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why, other than some really bad drafts, that's one of the reasons why we really never got anything going. I mean, if you think back, my best year was six and 10 and that's, that's, that's pitiful. I mean, I wouldn't go back and change anything. I love my career in Tampa. I love the community and my time there made a lot of great friends, but six and 10, your best record. And you know, the only thing you can attribute that to is a lot of bad first round, second round draft picks. And, uh, 
a lot of uh, coaching changes. So there was just no consistency with the Buccaneers at all. Yeah. You brought up head coach John McKay being there when you got drafted. I know he was the Bucks coach through 84, but during your brief time that you had with him, you know, he was known to be a guy that uh, always had a pretty memorable quote. Um, he was definitely throwing quotes around that a lot of people remember and, and still get quoted to this day. I mean, I, I got to say probably one of the funniest head coaches in Bucks history, but I wanted to ask you, do you have any quotes from John McKay that you remember either from practice in the building, if you saw him around or, you know, anything he did or said that, that really sticks out to you? Because, I mean, he is a man of many stories, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, probably all the quotes you know or the quotes that I know, I mean, they were all pretty legendary, and they certainly made the made the press. But, you know, I can remember one time walking off the field, and I, and I remember Coach McKay coming up to me, and this has a lot to do with my story that I'm going to tell later, but I remember him saying, uh, Randy, you don't ever want to leave your glove on the mound because somebody's going to pick it up if you do. And I took that as as meaning – you do whatever you have to to stay out here on the field, okay? You know, don't don't get that reputation for being injury prone or always on the injury list or back there waiting to see the doctors. Don't be that person. And, uh, you know, that's always stuck with me. Uh, he didn't come right out and say, you stay out here on the field no matter what. But, you know, that's what I took from that comment. And uh, it's just always stuck with me. But Coach, Coach McKay was fair. He was a good coach. He had good people around him. And, uh, you know, he was a legend. Randy Grimes doesn't have to sell John McKay. John McKay sold himself, and he did a great job. Oh, yeah, a absolutely. As, as we kind of transition into your story beyond football, you know, I think it kind of starts with that quote that you had brought up from John McKay. If you ask a lot of players from the era that you played, especially offensive and defensive linemen, um, it seems like that, there was this warrior mentality about everybody about, you know, having to be on the field as much as you possibly can. And I think if you ask a lot of those guys, they'll tell you that painkillers were a really big part of the game. It was a part of your recovery. It was, it was how you stayed in the game. And, um, you know, over your career, you battled multiple concussions, surgeries, procedures, things you had to go through. And, and you kind of proved to be that guy who was able to stay out there no matter what, but, you know, where your story kind of starts here is is how it followed you into your post-football career, and, and I'll let you kind of tell the rest. Well, and one thing I was always good at, and I was keeping my mouth shut and listening, and when I got in that locker room at one buck place uh, my rookie year, I listened. You know, I listened to the the Jimmy Giles and the Doug Williamses and the Hugh Greens and the James Wilders, you know, the guys that were year after year after year playing at a high level, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the best center that ever played the game. I wanted to play the game forever. I wanted to be all pro. I wanted to feed my family, playing a kid's game. So one of the things I learned to do very early, well, the first thing I learned is that football was no longer a game. It was a business. And the second thing I learned was that you do whatever you have to to stay out on the field, because if you're not out there in your position, somebody else was. So, you know, you don't want to get that reputation, like I said earlier, of always being in line back there to be worked on by the trainers or always on the injury report or always missing practice. You know, you didn't because that was a reputation you were never going to get away from in what was sure to be a short career. So. You know, I started taking handfuls of pain pills every day just to, to work through the injuries, to work through the, uh, the, uh, the, the pain I was having. 
you know, and then I would take handfuls of sleeping pills at night to get, get to sleep through the throbbing pain. And, you know, I looked at it like it was a necessary evil. I mean, I'm, I'm getting it from the team trainers, right? So it must be okay. Or I'm getting it from team doctors. So it must be okay. Or I'm, I'm just getting it out of the, uh, the, uh, team's drug safe. So, you know, that must be the culture in the NFL. That these are ways that I justified this, what I called a necessary evil, but really it was a full blown addiction. And, you know, uh, that's how I, I justified staying out on that field and, and, and doing whatever I had to do. Did we just cut off, guys? Uh, your camera did, but your audio is still coming in. Oh, wow. What happened here? My bad. Sorry. No, don't be. You're all good. It happens. We got you back. Uh, uh, so anyway, um, uh, you know, I, I never thought that I was going to take that necessary evil into my private life. And that's where things really spiraled out of control. When I didn't have those enablers anymore, those team doctors, team trainers, or ways to justify it. You know, the injuries just kept getting worse. The chronic pain just kept getting worse. My my addiction kept getting worse. It was my tolerance was getting higher. So I needed more and more pain pills. And, you know, for the next 20 plus years, I just couldn't stop the insanity that was, uh, that is addiction. Yeah. And, and you know, for you to, to not only speak out after your experience, but to be a huge advocate for a lot of recovery guys nowadays, you know, I think it goes unsaid, especially with a lot of players from that era. But for you to be the guy to speak out, you know, I, I, like I said, like, you know, you, you can't be alone on this. I'm sure that there are a lot of other players that are going through very similar situations or guys who have gone through similar situations. And, um, you know, I'm sure some of them fall into the group of maybe guys you've talked to, but, but now you are just a huge, a uh, huge advocate for recovery. I mean, you, you do so much from a bunch of different organizations. You're a keynote speaker. You're a director of professional relations for the transformations, drug and alcohol treatment center, you're helping athletic teams, associations, healthcare groups, colleges, associations, corporations, families. You're going out of your way to help these people and to guide them into a road of recovery. And I think that, you know, the story from beginning to end is just is really a good story and, and something that you don't hear of a lot, because I'm sure that there are plenty of older players who are, are still struggling or are still in a very similar boat as to you were those years ago. Well, you're exactly right. And when I came into treatment, this was September 22nd of 2009, when I finally got sober, finally put my hand up and asked for help, uh, I knew I wanted to make it mean something. I knew that I wanted to, uh, there was nothing out there for former players. And, uh, you know, it just so happens that whoever my wife called it in New York at the league office knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And that's how I got to the treatment center that I did back in 2009 but you know there was nothing out there for former players and uh i knew there was a lot of guys that i'd played with and guys that i'd played against who were out there suffering in silence and for whatever reason whether they pride ego shame guilt whatever it was uh or they just thought that there was nobody else out there suffering like they were they would not put up their hand and ask for help so that's how uh, that was why I started Athletes in Recovery, started working with the NFL, the Player Care Foundation, the Alumni Association, the, uh, the Players Union, working with those guys, helping former players find 
resources for not only their substance abuse, but the mental health issues that, that they were having post-football. And, you know, we were so successful. We were helping so many guys that, that Major League Baseball got involved with it, NBA, NHL. You know, I work with so many former uh, athlete groups now, the Jockeys Guild, MMA, Motorsports Safety Group, you know, the LPGA, the PGA, you know, so many different groups because, and, and a lot of veteran organizations because there's just so many similarities between what we're all going through. And, and you know, they say trauma is, is the root of all addiction. Well, with, with my population or the guys that I work with, it even goes back before that. And it's something to do with transitioning out of your sport or out of the service or or, uh, you know, guys don't handle very well the fact that they don't have a uniform to put on anymore, that, that they don't have uh, that locker room to sit in. You know, people, people ask me all the time what I miss most about football, and it's not, it's not so much being out on the field as it is being in that locker room, being in there with the guys and, and, and hanging out with those guys. So, you know, I'm just grateful that you know, all the pain and destruction that I caused my family and my friends and my jobs and my houses and cars and money. I just, I just glad that, that I was able to make it all mean something and, uh, and stay in this industry and help as many guys as I could. So oh, listen, I'm at White, I'm at White Sands Treatment Center, right in Plant City, not Transformations. Okay. Sorry about that. No, that's so, 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 you know, take me back to, to 2009 here. You know, you, you say, you know, in 2009, September 22nd is when you finally said, you know, en enough's enough. Like, I need to get some help. What was what was the, the breaking point for you? When did you realize, like, hey, this is an issue that needs to be addressed? Well, and it seems like the perfect storm was happening that spring and summer of 2009. My good friend Tom McHale passed away. And you all know that story. And, you know, Tom was out there doing the exact same thing I was doing, self-medicating his injuries he got while he played with the Bucks. And one morning, he just didn't wake up. Uh, so that really started getting my attention. I had had also a series of seizures as a result of withdrawal from uh, the benzodiazepines that I was taking and also the opiates. So that was going on. And then also my daughter had her first child, which was my first grandchild, and she wouldn't let me come around him because I wasn't fit to be around my first grandbaby. So, you know, it was the perfect storm was happening then, and it seems like every bottom I hit had a trap door in it. I always went lower, and uh, so it was a result of all that happening in the spring and summer of 2009 that I finally said, you know what, I, I can't do it. I need help. Now, you know, you talked about your road of, of not only recovering for yourself, but being an advocate for other guys who are following that same path. What are some memories that stick out to you? You know, over your years of advocacy, I'm sure that you've worked with so many guys, so many players from so many different sports, as you had mentioned. Uh, is there any story or any particular person that sticks out to you a, a little bit more than the next? Well, yeah, there are. Obviously, I can't tell you who they are, so that kind of <laughs> defeats them, you know. But you know, it's uh, it's been great that I've been able to help a lot of guys, guys that were legends to me, guys that I grew up watching. You know, I've been able to help, uh, and that's from all sports. 
uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity there. But you know what? We all, it's all the same stuff with every one of us, you know, and it's all has to do with chronic pain, transitioning, and, um, and, and just not having that uniform to put on anymore. That's such a big deal. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that I, I work with a great treatment center, White Sands Treatment Center there in Plant City. It's a it's a, a dual diagnosis facility. We also have a location in Fort Myers and also a presence in Hyde Park there in Tampa. But you know what? The, 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 the fact that we're such a good dual diagnosis facility, we treat more than just the substance abuse. We really dig into that underlying issue of 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 what makes us do what we do with our addiction, whether it's depression or, or anxiety or some other kind of underlying mental health issue. You know, we really dig in and find out what the root of that problem is. So I'm grateful for the staff uh, at White Sands that they've been able to, to, to help the athletes like they have. Now, I, I just want to bring it back to, to football for one second. You mentioned the thing you miss the most isn't necessarily playing the actual game, but it's the guys in the locker room. And I've heard that a lot from a lot of you know retired football players, and it's it, in, or just any sport. Um, guys really miss the locker room. What is so special about being inside that locker room? And do you have any cool stories or memories from, from inside your the locker room in your playing days? Well, and, and you, know, you know, it's the camaraderie. You know, I can remember uh, we as offensive linemen, we would always go over about two or three hours before everybody else on game day. And we would just sit around as offensive linemen. We would take our time taping up our pads. You know, we'd always put two way carpet tape on it and then stick our jerseys to it. You know, we, we took our time taping our ankles. We, we always taped our own ankles. We taped our wrists and we would just sit around. You know, I can remember guys, some guys would have their, uh, their uh, Discman or Walkman's on, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it was that time together, knowing that we were fixing to be in the battle of our lives. And there, so you know, it's it, it was just that camaraderie of being together, and you know, after practices, after games, uh, that locker room, you know, that that's where you want to be. That's where everybody's laughing. That's where everybody's cutting up, and that's where those bonds are being developed that that last a lifetime and um, yeah I've got some great stories uh, great stories of Steve DeBerg a lot of them I can't tell you know but <laughs> and you know Sean Farrell I mean we used to have some really great times and we had some we had some real characters uh, on defense with Cecil Johnson and Neil Cozy and we had some some great players that uh, that made made a lot of memories over there but tampa you know i would like i said i wouldn't trade my time for anything in tampa now i want to ask one one more quick question obviously you're in the creamsicle era a lot of people hate them a lot of people love them what do you think about rocking the rocking the creamsicles on every sunday Loved it. I love it. And that was, you know, that's the only Buccaneers I remember. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to get used to all this red and crimson and Vermont <laughs> and all that. But, you know, I, and it seems like everybody I talk to, it loves the cream sickle too. So, you know, I miss Buccaneer Bruce and the, 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 the eye patch and all that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad where they are right now. I, I love to follow them. I'm still a huge supporter, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm excited about uh, the Super Bowl. 
Now, I believe coming up this offseason, we've got a new collective bargaining agreement, and I think one of the proposals on there is the NFL adjusting their helmet rule to allow for different color helmets. So I know that if that comes into play, Bruce Arians and even Tom Brady at this point have you know, teased a return to the creamsicle for a game or two next season. But as of right now, we just got to wait and see how that CBA goes. But hopefully, I'm a big creamsicle fan, and I know Evan kind of likes them too. So we're both kind of in the in the corner of rooting for them to come back next year. One more question for you about this team. As we know, the Buccaneers next Sunday will play in Super Bowl 55, the first team ever to be the home team in the host city in the Super Bowl. I just wanted to get a little bit of a prediction for you, uh, from you for, for the game. Bucks are going up against the Chiefs, and the last time these two teams met, I think the Bucks did a pretty good job of slowing down Kansas City's offense. They did a you know, pretty, uh, pretty tough attempt at, at slowing down Tyree Kill, which is hard to do. But for the most part, I think they kept it a close game. They kind of came back in the second half, weren't able to get the job done. These are two very different teams this time around. And, and from what you've seen from this Bucks team over the playoffs and from anything you've seen or heard from this Chiefs, uh, from this Chiefs team this year, what kind of game are you expecting and who do you ultimately think comes out on top? Well, and, I, uh, you know, you have to go back to the home field advantage and uh, that's always huge whether it's a playoff game or, or a preseason game so I'm really counting on that to work in our favor uh, I, I like Tom Brady in big games who doesn't yeah I mean mm -hmm. look look years consistently game after game big game after big game and uh, that's where my money is not literally but uh, <laughs> you know I, I, I'm betting on that guy uh, uh, I'm excited to watch Mahomes, you know, and, and, and we're from the same hometown. So, you know, uh, there's there's a little part of me that that's hoping that he does well. But, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm going with the Bucs. Uh, uh, I see him playing well. I know the defense is going to rise to the occasion. And if they don't, we're not going to have a chance because I think the key is going to be with the defense. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're actually thinking about putting some money on the game, I'm really glad our good friend Randy Grimes brought it up. It's perfect time to check out our good friends over at betonline.ag. If you're betting on the Bucks in the Super Bowl, and go check out Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And of course, they've always got the online casino, which never closes. So head over to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Support for CFP is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen, we don't have to go into too much detail, but I think everybody in here can kind of agree that uh, manscaping is just... It's a little tough sometimes. It gets hard down there. Sometimes it's hard to see. You're, you're standing at a weird angle. But that's exactly why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent a year and a half perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and they just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CANON20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com, and use code CANON20. Sorry about that. I had to get some sponsor stuff out of the way. One final question for you before we wrap up and break this thing down. You know, you do a lot of work as a, a recovery a, a recovery advocate, helping other guys kind of, you know, take a similar path that you did. I wanted to ask, are there any projects that you're working on right now or any particular foundations you're a part of that you'd like people to know about? Some of the work that you're doing recently that you would like people to hear about. 
Well, I want everybody to go to my website at proathletesinrecovery.org. I don't want people to think that I only work with athletes. I'm an advocate for anybody seeking help from addiction and their mental health issues. So visit there. But also, I want everybody to check out the Victory Recovery High School that we just had the ribbon cutting for over in Newport Ritchie. And uh, we're real excited about that. Again, it's Victory Recovery High School. Uh, check that out and uh, all the help you could give us we we would appreciate but uh, there's so many cool things going on in recovery right now we're doing so many things that are are breaking down that that uh, that wall of stigma that surrounds addiction you know it's the message I want to send to everybody is that it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to not raise your hand and ask for help uh, this happens to a lot of people, you know, who would have ever thought that I would be, uh, you know, Mr. Second round draft pick, Mr. 1988 NFL man of the year, uh, Mr. All Southwest conference and all that, who would have ever thought that I would have had my substance abuse problems, you know, and so it happens to anybody and, uh, but there's hope and there's help out there. All you have to do is raise your hand and ask for help. It is awesome work that you do. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, proathletesinrecovery.org. Go check it out. Our good buddy Randy Grimes doing some awesome work and helping out with addiction recovery. Randy, I want to thank you so much for your time today and coming on the podcast. It's a very exciting time for Tampa Bay sports, and we got a lot of traction going with the podcast. That's why I figured it was the perfect time to bring you in here, and, and we're glad that you could tell your story just to have you know a couple of people hear it. One last question. If there's somebody listening to this podcast who is, you know, just kind of in in a rough scenario, let's say they're battling with addiction. It may not even be, you know, addiction with uh, with painkillers or a certain substance. It could be anything, any rough situation that they're in. If there's one thing you could say to that person right now who might be in that spot, what would it be? That there is hope and help. You know, people don't realize that there's that, that other people have struggled with this and, and that we're here to help. And all you have to do is ask for help. You know, uh, you can get in touch with me real easy. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at SoberCenter60. Uh, you can go to the website. But there is help and there's hope out there. And you don't have to live like this any longer. Absolutely. Randy, once again, thank you for your time coming on the podcast again today. All the great work that you do. I'm glad we could get the word out. And it was a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out with video on YouTube or, of course, listening to us on any of our podcast outlets. We appreciate the love over there. Follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And, of course, Buccaneer News as it happens. Speaking of Bucks News as it happens, you can go follow my co-host on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily, the number one Buccaneers fan page on Instagram with 26,000 followers and climbing just in time for the Super Bowl. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL. And last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. With all that being said, I am your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish, and our very special guest, Randy Grimes. We'll talk to you guys on Saturday as we interview Fox Sports' Chris Myers and get his thoughts on the Buccaneers playing in Super Bowl 55. Until then, we'll talk to you later, and go Bucks.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.